the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Quick shout out to the Freedom Foundation, creators of optouttoday.com. That's optouttoday.com. If you are a government employee, make sure you go there. I don't know if you know this, but if you're trying to get a government job, you don't have to join the union. If you have a government job, you don't have to be in the union to keep it. And if you're not in the union, you don't have to pay union dues. Now, here's the slick thing. Union bosses don't want you to know that because they want your money. Because your money bankrolls their activism. Union bosses monolithically support Democrats and progressives. And so the Freedom Foundation has been freeing government employees from union bondage. And you can find out how. Go to optouttoday.com. That's optouttoday.com. And thank you to the Freedom Foundation for your continued support of the Ohio Press Network. Um, <clears throat> let's bring him right in. Last week we had him in, and uh, he unpacked the goods, man. I mean, we went in the weeds on the Ohio Republican Party, the State Central Committee, what it does, how important it is, and uh, maybe most importantly or urgently, if you will, um, a Saturday meeting. Uh, of course, we talked about it before Saturday, but the meeting happened, so now we're going to get the postmortem. Talking about uh, Shannon Burns, he's a member of the Ohio Republican Party State Central Committee. He's president of Strongsville GOP, and he joins us now on the phone line. Shannon, welcome back. How are you today, sir? Do we have him, Jeff? I'm back. Oh, there you are. Okay. Excellent. Hey, hey Jack, how you doing? Sorry, cut out for a second there. No worries. Uh, I'm super fantastic. It's obviously China. It's China. We're going <laughs> to... China. Um, so Saturday was a big day. I know uh, you were meeting as a committee to decide on budgets, uh, but most importantly, to determine, all right, do we want to increase this threshold to endorse sitting members of, of an office from 50% to two-thirds, and uh, do we want to endorse in the 2024 races? Uh, what can you tell us, first of all, about uh, the two-thirds proposal? How did that go? Yeah, it went really well. Um, really really excited for two reasons. One, it, it gave us the baseline that prevented any of the Blue 22 from being endorsed, and I think that the writing was on the wall that that was going to be the case. But just as imp- probably more importantly, Bob, is that we've created precedent now within the party that if we censure a candidate, a two-thirds majority is going to be necessary to endorse them in the future. And, and that's critical because, as we talked about last week, you know, the standard rule is if you're an incumbent, you only need a 50% threshold, which you know, and sometimes in this committee is, is a little easy to come by. I think that you know, g- given a different political environment, there's probably half the committee that may have been uh, interested in supporting the Blue 22. Uh, so uh, it's great that we have that precedent now. I think going forward, uh, there'll be serious teeth in any censure that would come up in the future, which hopefully will help us hold our elected officials accountable to core beliefs of the party. So let me just clarify. I may have misspoke um, when I brought you on. 
the two-thirds threshold for incumbents is only if they've been censured. Is that correct? That's correct. That's right. So the rule that we adopted was only for candidates that had been censured in the previous two years. uh, It would be a two-thirds majority. Um, Incumbents still had the traditional threshold of 50%. Okay, so then let's move on to the other hot topic, which is the Blue 22. And I I believe at last count there are about 17. Some of them are seeking re-election to a House seat. Some of them are trying to move over, uh, for example, in the case of uh, a guy in your neck of the woods, Tom Patton, from state representative of the 17th district to uh, a a state Senate seat. Um, Were any of those folks nominated? Were any of them endorsed? Yeah, I'm I'm so thrilled to report back, Bob, that first, none of them were nominated for endorsement uh, and none received an endorsement. But I think it went one step further. And that is that the committee had identified through discussion three and other Uh, elected officials, candidates for office this year, that uh, were very commonly known as sympathizers of the Blue 22. Uh, You know, you had Sharon Ray and and Medina, you had Matthews, and then you had Pizzoli. Uh, Those three House members uh, were commonly known as sympathizers and part of the Stevens leadership team, and those three incumbents also were denied endorsement. Well, that's interesting, um, and that's, that's kind of exciting. Um, I think it was Pizzoli was uh, he was a replacement that Stevens handpicked. Is he was he not? That's right. That's House? right. He was he was the only one that was a, an appointee that was uh, seeking endorsement. All the rest were current electeds. Okay, uh, so just to review, then uh, it will now take two thirds of a vote uh, for anyone that is a sitting elected official to get an endorsement from the Ohio Republican Party. Uh, no one. Uh, that is a member of that blue 22 was nominated or received an endorsement Saturday. Here's the other question. Were there any endorsements issued by the ORP state central committee on Saturday? There, there were endorsements issued. Uh, so what we had done is, is split the, uh, these were all legislative. No, no other endorsements happened or, or, or contemplated on Saturday. So just house and Senate, there were five categories of candidates. Uh, quickly, I'll run them down. I, I know I won't do them perfectly from memory, but effectively, it was um, unopposed incumbents, unopposed uh, you know, open seats. So looking at this last one I talked about means that it's a probably a Democrat district. We've got somebody that's stepping up and running. There's no one in the primary. So there's a, effectively, there was no primary uh, race at all. And we endorsed all of the individuals that were uh, running for uh, state house and for state senate that did not have a primary. So those were all endorsed. Excellent. So effectively, they were going to go into the general no matter what. We just endorsed them early. Okay. Uh, without there was just to be clear, there was no primary election for those candidates. Um, there were a couple endorsements in contested contested races. I personally did not vote for endorsement on any contested race at all. I, I don't think that's the role of the party, uh, although the, the uh, committee did see fit to, I believe it was three endorsements in contested races, um, and, and others can speak to why they thought that was appropriate. Um, you know, by all accounts, good, you know, solid conservatives that are currently in office. Uh, but once again, my personal opinion is I don't think that the party should be getting engaged, even if, if it's a one-sided race. You know, that's not our job. Okay, so uh, quickly on this question, 
uh, in the past, the Ohio Republican Party State Central Committee um, has struggled with this idea. Do we want to endorse or not endorse? Uh, what do you think the appetite is now? Do you feel like the composition of the State Central Committee is we want to let Republican voters decide more democratically as opposed to kind of more re- uh, republic structure where you're elected and you decide for them uh, in a primary? Uh, what's the appetite right now? I mean, I think that I think it's still lopsided towards endorsing in primaries. Okay. Um, it's not by a great margin uh, like it used to be, but it is. I mean, clearly, like I mentioned, there's there was three contested races, and you know I can get back to you, Bob, on the exact ones, but it, that we did endorse in, uh, in we endorsed in uh, legislative primaries where there is a competitor. Um, so there clearly is an appetite still on the committee. Uh, I will I'm happy to report that the Conservative Caucus is firmly committed to no endorsements, and uh, you know that that caucus is growing in, in strength and numbers. And uh, hopefully, with the help of of your listeners, in March 19th, we'll elect even more uh, conservatives into State Central Committee. And, and and you know, conservatives is a generalized term. Uh, in the sense that you know, an independent party is really what our goal is, a party that doesn't put their thumb on the scale in our primaries. Let's let the voters uh, decide. And Shannon, this is Jack Windsor, by the way. <laughs> I know you think it's Bob, but this is Jack. I think you got your uh, Bob and I are so similar, but I just wanted to. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jack. I apologize. <laughs> well, that's actually an honor to be called Bob France. He's been at the game a lot longer. Hey, I've only got about 20 seconds. I just wanted to give you and, and you can maybe take 10 seconds to say great or oh, interesting. Uh, I just found out the uh, AFP Ohio Americans for Prosperity, it looks like, is endorsing Mike Davila in that uh, District 17 race against uh, Gordon Short. Your response? Really happy about that. I mean, it's a perfect example of this one race uh, of the difference in candidates. AFP Ohio is a great fighter in Ohio for uh, lower taxes, uh, reduced spending, holding government accountable. Uh, Mike Davila gets endorsed by AFP. Gordon Short gets endorsed by the Cleveland Plain Dealer. I think it's a great example of where, which that's all you need to know, Congratulations on your engagement. You know what step one is. You have to find a venue. I want to tell you about ours. Whitney and I run and operate the Legacy on Possum Run. You can find it at thelegacyonpossumrun.com. When you get there, you'll see why newly engaged couples in Cleveland, Columbus, Cincinnati, and even other parts of the country are excited about this beautiful space comprised of three unique locations. And uh, when you get there, you not only see photographs, you can check the calendar to make sure that your special date is available. You may like it so much, you'll plan your day around what is available. Pricing is right there on the website, and uh, you can even book a tour or sign up for the February open house. So if you're looking for a uniquely beautiful space that is incredibly affordable, get to thelegacyonpossumrun.com. That's thelegacyonpossumrun.com. Your legacy begins here. All right. Big thank you again to Dr. Glenn Dewar of Cedarville and uh, Shannon Burns, Ohio Republican Party, State Central Committee, president of the Strongsville GOP. Uh, great, great interviews today. And uh, right now we're going to do a quick rundown. Some of these stories we may dive into a little bit later in the show. Um, but one of the setbacks of being out for a couple of days is we didn't get to talk about some significant 
headlines. So we're going to do that right now. Uh, let's see. It looks like Vivek Ramaswamy, former candidate for president of the United States, also a native Ohioan, has put his thumb on the scale for the U.S. Senate race, and he has endorsed Republican Bernie Marino. Now, Bernie was on with us last week. I'm certain we'll be on with this again. Um, Frank LaRose has been on with us. He's also a candidate in that race. And, uh, hey, great news, Jeff. You're not going to believe this. I finally have Ohio Senator Matt Dolan booked for this Friday at 1122. So Matt Dolan will be here to talk about uh, House Bill 68. He was uh, a voter in the Ohio Senate who approved of overriding Governor DeWine's veto of House Bill 68. We'll talk about the border invasion and uh, Dolan's platform, what he will do if he gets the Republican nomination and then beats Sherrod Brown in November to become the second Republican to represent Ohio in the upper chamber. Speaking of House Bill 68, not sure if you heard this or not, um, but the ACLU has filed a lawsuit to challenge House Bill 68. And um, in a press release Monday, the ACLU of Ohio announced It was filing a lawsuit to challenge House Bill 68's prohibition of gender transition treatment for minors. Now, just a reminder, House Bill 68 contained both the SAFE Act, saving adolescents from experimentation, which prohibits the prescription of cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers to minors. It also outlaws cutting off body parts for minors who are struggling either with gender dysphoria or in the world that we live in, have caught the social contagion and are just gender confused. But it also contains Save Women's Sports, which bars men from competing against women and invading their privacy in private spaces. Um, But the ACLU, American Civil Liberties Union, uh, which is neither civil nor does it promote liberty, is objecting. Um, In the ACLU of Ohio's announcement, this according to Spectrum News, they note they intend to file the lawsuit before the law is set to take effect, which would be April 23rd of this year. We are preparing litigation to defend transgender youth and their constitutional right to receive medically necessary health care, said Frida Levinson, legal director at the ACLU of Ohio in the press release. The use of gender-affirming hormone therapy to treat transgender minors is supported by every major medical association in our country. Transgender youth, together with their doctors and parents, should should have access to evidence-based medical care just like anyone else. Families should be able to make these private, personal decisions based on the advice of their physicians and and free from interference by politicians. House Bill 68 is not only cruel, it violates the Ohio Constitution and must be challenged. Now, State Representative Gary Click, who we had on last week, and uh, he celebrated the Senate's override of the governor's veto, released a statement. And uh, his statement reads, The Ohio Senate deserves to be commended today for its commitment to protecting women and children by overriding the governor's veto of House Bill 68. 
the SAFE Act and Save Women's Sports Act are the civil rights issues of our day, ensuring that children have the right to grow up intact and that women are no longer subject to men invading their spaces. Uh, Senator Christina Rogner's kind and patient leadership throughout the committee process has been commendable. This battle between the legislative and executive branches was over policy, but not personality. I feel confident that Governor DeWine acted from his heart. I continue to feel that with more time and opportunity, it may have been possible for the governor to share in our understanding of this vital issue. Nevertheless, he did what he felt was right, as he should. The legislature, however, felt just as strongly, if not more so, that House Bill 68 was imperative to save the lives, uphold medical ethics, and reaffirm women's rights. The sentiment of Ohioan citizens was heard and reflected across the nation. The citizens of Ohio were unequivocal in their demand that the legislature act as we did. The system worked. So just two points of opinion here for me. Um, In the ACLU statement, I find it interesting that the ACLU credits its position based on every major medical association in the country supporting what they call gender-affirming care, and, uh, and then later citing evidence-based. Well, here's a, here's a problem that the ACLU has, and I don't know that this will come out in the case because I don't know if they're going to argue technicalities or facts. But the fact is the LGBTQ plus trans movement can be tied to the allocation of funds from clinics, hospitals, medical systems, and largely big pharma, drug companies, all of these players who will profit by ginning up social contagion, creating gender confusion, and getting kids to take their pills. Because once that kid takes a pill and they stay on the path, that drug company has a client for life. And clinics and hospitals have their hits too. These kids will get surgeries throughout life that are extremely expensive. So the evidence-based part of that is uh, indeed intriguing. And as Representative Click pointed out in his statement, Ohioans did speak. Do you remember in the wake of Issue 1, essentially proponents of Issue 1 saying, shut up, it's been decided. A vast majority of people have decided, right? Well, guess what? Well over 70% of Americans and Ohioans believe that kids should not transition as minors and elected officials who represent them by a supermajority agree. So you can't have it both ways. I guess when you're illogical and immoral, you can't. But when you are logical and moral, you try to take the high ground. All right. Uh, hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show is next and we'll be joined by Mahek Cook. So stay tuned. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.